Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I am Jackson Wood, joined as always by Ryan Kruger. Uh, in today's episode, I I took the title of this episode directly from a paper I read over the weekend from BlackRock. It's called An Ounce of Pessimism, A Pound of Prudence. And I thought that this was pretty timely. Um, I don't know about you all listeners or viewers of the show on YouTube, but it is school season. And as my kids were doing their summer homework assignments that they saved until the last day of school or last day of summer, I figured I needed to go back to school and do a little do a little digging and a little bit of learning. So I read this weekend a ton of papers, uh, you know, just kind of catching up and, and reframing my thinking. And uh, I found a really good paper that I'll link from BlackRock. Um, it's called Talking Stock. And I thought this was surprisingly insightful. Um, and I, I think you're going to enjoy this episode, especially in, in as it relates to the context of the current market and the current environment that we're in right now. So Taking a line directly from the paper, it says, and, and the author here is just phenomenal. He says, it's still a good time to be measured about taking risk in equities, but we believe the longer term horizon holds particular promise for active stock pickers. And if anybody knows the business of BlackRock, I thought that that was relatively surprising. And I, I could not agree more because if you've listened to any of the episodes of Mailbox Money or know anything about Ryan and I, we believe in actively managed equity portfolios. Um, and so as we kind of dive into it, there are three areas of discussion that I, I want to hammer on during this episode. The first one is investor caution and keeping cash on the sidelines. The second one is that there's greater dispersion in earnings, valuation, and returns. Basically, that's a, a jumbled way to say there's a little bit more going on once you pop the hood this year in the market than you would get just by glancing at return numbers or glancing at the index. And then the, the third one here is there's an opportunity to build and deploy shopping lists. And you've heard Ryan talk about how we have our eye on certain positions and how there's an opportunity here for those willing to roll up their sleeves and, and to dig a little. So I'm excited for this episode. Um, I think it will be helpful. And uh, I, I sure learned a lot as I was kind of prepping for this. So kind of just catching everybody up. I think I, I got to give Elliot Wood a shout out. He was up at I'm told 5 a.m., uh, a little yeah. bit early for school, ready to rock, ready to go. Um, I'm a big fan of that kid and that student. And he knows, like I believe, if there's anything to take away from this big, big picture, and you're going to nerd out, warning right now, when you dive into papers over the weekend, <laughs> next Monday, that next week, buckle up. Um, I think one simple takeaway I think homework matters. Now I'm biased. I think it's always mattered. I think homework is almost undervalued now. We've had a generation of new investors. And to your point, BlackRock and indexing and passive investing, that's the other side of active management. Just own the whole market of the index and you're going to be fine. And to be clear, compared to a lot of other poor choices, it's not the worst idea in the world. But I'll just give this backdrop for anybody listening to what caught Jackson Wood as a professional investor and money manager, what caught his attention over the weekend 
good deep dive research from one of the smartest, biggest money managers in the world, BlackRock, and how those have become needles and haystacks. And I actually think where some people have been almost conditioned to tune them out and say, it's not going to matter. Just buy and hold. You'll be fine. When I started in this business in 1996, there was a lot of research analysts and they were paid like rock stars and they were rainmakers. And we learned through a lot of scandals that there was a little bit of a conflict of an interest to, to be polite between some of those analysts and the research that they were producing and its ability to draw investment banking business. And they would always say nice things about a company if you also wanted to do this for them as a big giant firm. And all that unraveled in class action suits um, to the point where there are so few analysts paid like rock stars anymore. They've been let go, fired, it's dwindled. I would say, not just us, Jackson, but any of these professional research pieces, the ones that have stood the test of time and the ones that are pr producing good research that have caught your eye, we're gonna talk about some today. I think they're undervalued now. There are fewer of them they're oftentimes very, very good and dealing and sharing with an investor base that has been told, don't pay attention to them. And I can get all this stuff on my own for free anyhow, where it's set up an opportunity, believe it or not, for the Elliott Woods, the new new students, the new investors out there where I can't believe I'm saying this, but homework may be uncrowded. And as an active portfolio manager, I find that well, delicious. I, I love it. And especially when the homework points to an opportunity for active management coming from a very passive shop that, that, that raised my eyebrows. And, and, uh, I just thought there was a lot of, a lot of gems here. So, um, no, I couldn't agree more. So, and how do I, my kid gets that from my wife definitely doesn't come for me getting ready early for school. So shout out to our wives on this one. Um, anyway, so in the first half of 2023 stocks have definitely defied expectations. Um, the S&P 500 is notching double-digit returns as inflation remained elevated and the Fed continued their most aggressive rate hiking campaign since the 1980s. Um, I listened even as I was like doing Saturday chores, I was trying to stay in the rabbit hole here and listen to a podcast. And I won't pick on anything from the podcast, but it was simply titled, and I thought it was brilliant, 2023, the year everyone got wrong. And it's just been one of these goofy uh, goofy years. And if you look at the index returns, you would think that everything is glorious and that there's no problem to be discovered and that we're free and clear of any sort of issue. Um, but the big picture is masking some of the, the more smaller nuances. Um, and in particular, when we look at the S&P 500, technology as a sector of the S&P, after cratering, which we talked about on this podcast before, after cratering in 2022, has carried the index returns. Um, and when you look at the index market-weighted return and equal-weighted return, the illustrations show just how much the mega-cap stocks, and they're calling them, they've even given them nickname, the Magnificent Seven, um, which are primarily tech and related stocks across IT, telecom, and consumer discretionary. It's just how much that specific sector, those sectors are responsible for the overall growth of the market as a whole. So when you look at it, I've got a chart that McKay is going to pop on the screen here, um, which shows the S&P 500 uh, return by sector in 2023. We've got energy at negative seven. Now, this is as of the end of Q2 moving into Q3. So it's changed a little bit from my numbers here. But 
all the way over to when you look at consumer discretionary, telecom, and information uh, technology, so IT, 29, 36, and 39% respectively. So you have the S&P up double digits primarily because of these tech-related sectors moving that up significantly. And to me, that is when you understand that, and I know we're just going one level deep here, um, that is shocking and surprising. And I think that that's worth talking about. Now, the movie Magnificent Seven, uh, I think was followed up by the next movie called The Hateful Eight. And uh, I think in, in this month, we have seen these big tech names start to come down. And it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, you know, not shocking, but common sense of, you know, after these monster rallies and as the index pulls is pulled up by just these specific sectors, if they start to struggle, what's going to happen to the index price as things start to revert to the mean and normalize? And we don't have these parabolic charts, as Ryan called them last year or last episode, um, as things start to normalize and, and come back down to normal territory. So that was a little shocking to me. And I just liked opening the, the curtains there a little bit and looking at the guts of the index. I think is a good hint or rule of life um, for investments, or if one of our kids showed up at school on the first day and referred to any part of their backpack or their makeup as magnificent, um, I, I, I want a new friend. Um, in the stock market, and I remember vividly the last time this happened in some of these tech giants at sky high valuations, the dangerous thing, it's you know not just what you know that can go wrong, that can hurt you. Um, it's what if things go exactly right from here and they're still way too magnificently priced. Um, perfect example, 2000, great company, still cranking to this day, Cisco Systems was the most owned stock. And it was always my favorite lesson when People would talk about what the stock market was worth or where it was priced or what a stock was worth or more personally and granularly, if somebody opens their statement, if they see that and see and think what they're worth, be very, very careful because if everyone wanted to capture that net worth statement and sell today and hold it in your hand to know it's real and cash in your hand, which is why we love dividend growth. It's the only metric that you know is real because you can hold it in your hand. Unlike those sky high price valuations, if everybody needed their cash, it was worth significantly less than those price quotes. So 23 years later for a company like Cisco, the ones that worked exceptionally well, and this is a pretty good comparison to the magnificent seven that you're talking about right now, Double digit earnings sales growth for 23 years, and you are still worth less today than what you held up and what the market told you. So it's not worth. That's what the last price paid was. That's a curious thing about these bid ask. And the stock market is an auction, it's not a bank account or a valuation. So if everybody, and you have to ask yourself, that of any precious holding of yours today. That is the most vivid example of somebody could look at and forecast perfectly the next 10 or 20 years, companies that would, all of the bullish arguments, you might still have less money in your account than you do today 
That's why valuation is so critical. I actually was asked that question on Instagram from someone this week. What does valuation mean and how does it differ from the price someone is willing to pay? And that's an expensive lesson to learn the hard way, especially when you look at some of these big names. Um, so going back to BlackRock here, and I thought that this was just this ironic coming from BlackRock, a big index shop. They say, we remain selective in taking risk as we prepare our shopping list for the cycle's next leg. And we believe stock selection will be rewarded as investors prioritize company fundamentals. And you've heard us over and over and over again on this show talk about understanding the fundamentals of a business, what makes them a quality company if they're in a position to pay a dividend and grow that dividend over time. And BlackRock, and we believe we're going to join Team BlackRock today, uh, we do believe that this will benefit investors moving forward as we are seeing some very severe dislocations of price to actual valuation in, in some of these larger tech companies. And it doesn't have to be tech. I mean, any year it can be a given sector or a given company, but this year is just, just happens to be, uh, just happens to be tech. So continues, but they say, uh, that they are very cautious, um, in, or overall investors are being very cautious and we can look at some of the data to see that this is actually happening this year. So when you look at Morningstar data and shout out to Morningstar on this one, uh, $37 billion this year has exited U.S. equity funds, um, while bond funds at the same time have gathered $108 billion in assets. So what this is saying is that the market psychology is people are, are pulling money away from bonds and, or excuse me, from equities, and they're going into more, uh, well, they, they believe they're less volatile, more secure assets like bond funds. And you know how we feel on the show about bond funds, um, even as vo volatility in the bond market has remained higher. Now, the most shocking part of this to me was that an astounding $404 billion has flowed into money market funds over the course of 2023. Now, Ryan has a chart, and this goes back to March, but this has been burned into my mind. When I close my eyes, this is the chart that I see. So I stole this, I found it on Ryan's Twitter timeline uh, this morning, uh, but it shows an example in March of net inflow into cash management accounts or money market accounts in March uh, in BlackRock's products versus the total market cap of 200 publicly traded small banks. And it's just mesmerized. So McKay's going to put that up on the screen. Um, but what this really talks to, and I think this is worth discussing, is because of the volatility we've seen in markets, investors are saying, you know what, why would I deal with that type of volatility and that type of risk when I can go put my money in this money market account and it can generate 4.7% or Vanguard's came out at just over 5% over the, over the weekend. And people were talking about that. Why would I not just take all this risk off the table and put the money into that? And I think investors are thinking that way right now. Um, but over the long term, what we need to understand is that this can potentially be a bad decision to make, right? And this is why we preach so heavily our three S's, our safe money, our sacred money, and our speculative money. But what we're seeing right now is an unprecedented inflow into money market funds and uh, they're pulling out of equity markets, which to me was just kind of shocking when you see the numbers here. If I, um, you know, last week's show, I would encourage anybody, if, I don't think I've said this before, so I try to stay humble. If there's a show I would re-listen to, Truth Serum from last week, we shared the three 
most valuable words in all of finance. Going to make somebody tune in if they didn't listen. I'm not going to repeat it here. It's a really, really good episode. Um, if if I had to share and match that today on this episode with the biggest, most important, most shocking difference between two numbers that capture all of the fundamental hardcore data, best of the best money managers, Jackson talking about one research report today, and every investor, beginner and most sophisticated, the largest in the world to somebody just starting, that people underestimate, that I would not have appreciated what this sentence even means in 1996 when I started, is the difference between available investment returns and investors returns. Just closing that gap. Everybody talks about performance is that you will outperform any of your peers. The available investment returns and what investors actually keep, as my dirt poor farming grandfather said, Miles, Texas, it ain't what you make, it's what you keep. This constant running from one side of the boat to the other because of some of these predictions and macro calls and and the reason, Jack, we, as you emphasized again, we never will say the stock market or bond market looks better at any other time. So unlike, I mean, bonds, which has caught everybody's attention now, recently, when people run to that side of the boat, they can be just as fooled and it can be just as dangerous as high-risk stocks. So as this flood of money enters, I'll just pull up the simple index, 20-year treasury bond ETF that has got a huge inflow, um, blowing past all of the stock ETFs because of the fear and all sorts of other reasons. In the last two years, that sucker is down 40%. Investment returns and investor returns, stock and bond market. If you can set up a simple plan, we just had a simple, beautifully boring bond, tax-free bond come due in my oldest daughter's account last week. She emails the next day. And as a planner, I was a little, I was one day off. She's like, dad, we got this semester covered, right? And I looked, I was like, I was one day off from when that tax-free bond came due in her account. It didn't matter that that was a 3% bond before and now I can get 4%. If I was forced to buy and sell a bond fund, I could lose money in that transaction. It was guaranteed. It was AAA rated. We call it bank yourself. And it came due to take care of a need. There was no speculation. There was no risk. There was no predictions. If you've got something like that, and every one of us has some of those needs, whether it be college, house, or whatever it is, there was no macro forecast needed. It didn't matter what interest rates were. I was outside of the fund and had that safe investment cut out the middleman. Sorry, bank. And I, by the way, I did walk back in to the belly of the beast of that bank. I'm going to re re update that post. When I asked them last week, and I haven't even told you this story yet. One of our most read pieces of all time was when I was asked and asked to leave the bank. Why are you taking a picture of the bowl of suckers, sir? I was back last week and I asked once again, what's the savings rate pay? And once again, all five people, including the branch manager could not answer that question for me. And you know me, I didn't leave yet to be told us next week. Um, <laughs> those wild swings can happen 
and the safe, supposedly conservative fixed income markets too. So a simple balance of safe and sacred and never having any scared money in either is the antidote in my opinion. I, I could not agree more. And um, I, think, I think investors are making a mistake when they try to, I know they are, try to go and time and get in and out and bounce around asset classes. Um, so right now we've got the overall market being more cautious than normal as evidenced by fl flows into bond funds or thinking they're being cautious with flows into bond funds and the money markets. Um, so what I wanted to do is figure out what equity returns look like after money market fund rates have peaked. And thankfully, BlackRock did this for me because this would have taken me hours to do this by hand. But I've got another chart here that I've never seen a chart like this before. Um, and so I tweeted this out. I thought it was incredibly powerful. I've been thinking about this the entire weekend. But the chart here goes through equity returns following flights to cash. So as investors, and just let me set the stage here for the story, in 2003, 2009, and, and 2020, um, we saw money market rates peak. So this is when the Fed had been raising interest rates. They paused. Federal fund, or uh, money market rates peaked. And then perhaps they were followed by lowering uh, rates or, or at least not going any higher. So what happens to the three-year average annual return of the equity markets post-peak money market rate? And to me, this was just astounding what we saw. So in 2003, February 2003, money market rates peaked. Um, the three-year average annual return of the market from peaking rate in 2003 was 16%. You can look at it in 2009 when uh, money market rates peaked in 2009. The average three-year return following the peak of money market rates in 2009 was 19%. And then in 2020, uh, money market rates peaked in June of 2020, and we had a three-year average return of 13%. And I, you know, I know we're looking at average returns here, and that's a little bit uh, kind of misleading, I suppose, when you look at indexes. But I just thought that this was incredibly powerful because it tells a story. And the story that it tells is that everybody gets very fearful. They've got scared money in their plan somewhere, and they pull back or they overallocate or they're trying to time the market. And just when money market rates peak and when you see maximum inflows into these money market products and these money market funds, you have... Three, the three following years are years of outperformance, uh, sometimes pretty severe outperformance. And so it, it talks about just this psychology or when you take it into the financial planning realm, an imbalance of plan, which again is why we preach have safe money, have sacred money and speculative money so that you're not having to juggle between what money should you have at risk? Are you over risk? Do you have too much risk in the portfolio? Do you not have enough risk? And if you can build a balanced plan from the beginning, you're not having to worry about timing the, the top of money market yields perfectly right, which is impossible to do, right? But this was shocking to me in this chart I thought was really enlightening um, and pretty encouraging, especially as we have these high money market rates and everybody is, the only thing they can talk about are, you know, what treasury bond ETFs can we go buy or, or what's the best approach and best money market and Vanguard you know, of all places is, is making the news because they launch a new product with money market rates that are higher than you can get at some of the other custodians. So I thought that this was really important to think about and it teaches a very valuable lesson. And I'm going to give anybody listening to this some grace. If you feel like these, all these investment behavior, it's time in the market, not timing the market. And they kind of 
in, intimidate everybody into feeling like it, it's a game that can't be beat and how ignorant investors are and they need this smart money. And look, this is Wall Street's conspiracy that, that they want to make it feel like there's a curtain and there's a wizard behind it. If the smartest of the smart can get it this wrong this year, which I love you bringing more evidence and more examples, um, I will submit and in case this helps anybody, the biggest challenge that will make the biggest difference of your nest egg isn't which different funds and what to invest in or getting stocks versus bonds right. What did I mean by, I'm going to give you a gory example here. What did I mean by the difference between investment returns and investor returns is your biggest challenge, much more so than figuring out the direction of the economy or the market and what a loser's game that is. That's how I'd flip it. You're not a loser as an individual average investor. It's the yeah. smart money <laughs> that is the loser of the mugs game. Um, so I'll give you an example that I've never forgotten that I studied carefully. He was one of my heroes as an active manager when I started in this business in 96, who gave me the great quote, whoever turns over the most rocks wins. Peter Lynch, if you had the ability to rewind the clock and pick and luck into the greatest run any mutual fund manager has had on my watch since I've studied this. Lynch put up compound average annual rate of return of 29% in his Fidelity Magellan flagship fund before retiring years later and did it in a wonderful way. Wrote great books, turned over rocks, talked about the power of homework and finding those companies and how he did it. We share a good deal in common with his process. The the focus is on which fund and what he was doing and the reality, the simple math in this giant gaping hole of what I meant by that earlier statement. Would you believe that with the tailwind of the best fund in history, a period of time, the majority of shareholders of that fund lost money? Not underperformed the market or that didn't do well or lost. They were in the best fund of all time, the best run and the, majority of shareholders were net losers over whatever period they held because they were either figuring out its own or reading some of these macro forecasts on the black and they went from one side of the boat to the other. They added at the wrong time or subtracted at the wrong time. The biggest tailwind you could hope to luck into, and that stacked, I, I would consider that. I would put that in the back of your mind and however it is, wherever it gets anybody listening this to a better place, the antidote is have not the best investment playbook predictions, but something that you can stick with, that makes sense to you, that you believe in, that you're never gonna be intimidated out of. If you have a good playbook and a good process, big leap of faith, you need that, you need to find somebody that can do this, then it really is a matter of the investment returns are there, the investor returns. Our biggest problem is right in the middle. I love that. Um, yeah, it, it couldn't be, it couldn't be more daunting, but when you boil it down into simple terms like that, it becomes achievable for, for anybody. Um, so in the paper, BlackRock continued, and this is where I'm pulling out my soapbox and I feel like I'm standing in front of Hyde Park in London preaching the gospel of dividend growth here. But the idea that BlackRock talks about is they want to know, all right, we understand that the opportunity is here for active stock managers. Now, what strategy should we deploy cash into? What strategy should we stick with? And you've long heard us 
just scream at the top of our lungs that dividend growth when it comes to planning for your Freedom Day and future income growth is the strategy of choice at our firm and what we implement in our own personal accounts. But what's the data? Now, the alt, my all-time favorite chart, which was in our playbook last year, and you'll see Ryan and I tweeted out probably a couple times a quarter, is from Ned Davis Research, and it shows the S&P 500 returns from 1970, 1973, yeah, make sure that my number is right, to 2020. Okay, so now this one from BlackRock is kind of the same thing, but it goes from 1978 to 2022. And this one meant a lot to me as I found this. And so I'm going to be tweeting this one a lot too. But what they do is they look at the S&P 500 and they divide it based on their dividend policy. So you've got dividend growers and initiators. You've got the S&P 500 index itself. You've got non-dividend payers, which you could lump growth into. And then you've got dividend cutters and eliminators, which you know there's companies that go through that. And they looked at their average return uh, from 1978 through the end of 2022. And then they also looked at their volatility. And surprise, surprise, glad this is BlackRock saying this and not just me. So you can also, you know, you can verify my source here. The style of investment that gave the best return with the lowest volatility was dividend growers and initiators with a 13.2% average total return and 15.3% on the volatility metric, which is the standard deviation. So I thought that this was incredibly insightful um, as we kind of walk through the thought process of this episode here. It's don't chase cash returns, don't fear the market, have a very solid financial plan built, have safe money, sacred money, speculative money. But once you decide on a strategy uh, of dividend growth investing, you stick to it because you get the lower volatility, you get the higher return, and most importantly, you get that growing dividend income every year in your financial plan. And with the rest of it, who cares if you get the market wrong? Who cares if you join the club of the popular finances says your predictions are wrong? We're not making predictions. We're not in the business of macro forecasting here. We are very focused on active stock management and you can reap the rewards of that over time. So with that, if anybody has questions, if you'd like to reach out and schedule a meeting with our team, you can email us team at freedomdaysolutions.com. I want to give a shout out real quick. Last episode, all the feedback, the amount of downloads blew my mind. So we definitely appreciate that. Would appreciate it if you share it with a friend, shoot us a question. You can read our website, team at freedomdaysolutions.com. And with that, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.